Welcome to the podcast version of Police Science Doctor, the online resource bridging the gap between research and investigative practice. For police personnel who go the extra mile. For academics who want to connect better with investigative practitioners. On YouTube and on policesciencedoctor.com. Hello everyone, this is Suzanne Knabnikov from Police Science Doctor with your weekly dose of police science snippets. These snippets are basically tiny extracts of hopefully useful research information that has been established through scientific work in the fields of criminology, investigative psychology, police research, forensic psychology, um, all that kind of stuff, police science, in order to bring this to you, the frontline practitioner, because that's the mission of police science doctor. So every week I go online and I talk about these three snippets that I've pulled out from the many articles that are being published all the time. I also email them to everyone who's on the police science doctor email list. So if you want to get these into your inbox with a link to the original research article every Tuesday for free, just Google police science, go to police science doctor, enter your details into the form that pops up or that you find at the bottom of every page and you'll get access to these every week. And also you can access the whole back catalog of previous police science snippets. And there's now many of them, 140 previous weeks. So the snippets for this week there's always three the first one is about tonic immobility versus consent tonic immobility is a state of temporary involuntary motor inhibition that victims may experience in states of intense fear such as during sexual violence it is characterized by fear and immobility and explains the victim's lack of defense or resistance which is not consent and causes effects such as trembling physical and mental paralysis inability to vocalize and eye closure. In addition, tonic immobility has been correlated with long-term negative clinical manifestations as victims are more likely to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. I do wonder if that is in part down to the um, internal conflict that the victim then may experience afterwards and also quite overt uh, accusations from others well why didn't you fight back why didn't you do anything did you did you say or do x and they weren't able to um, and i wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the contributing factors to why victims who are immobilized during these attacks are more likely to experience ptsd afterwards than maybe those who are able to fight back the next snippet is about gps monitoring of offenders monitoring of offenders chronically post-release decreases the risk of offending without negatively impacting offenders' well-being. Okay, short and sweet. Um, it decreases offending and it doesn't have a negative impact on their mental health to be to have these ankle, ankle bracelets, these um, electronic tags. And the last uh, snippet for this week is about victim demeanor. A study about how jurors perceive victims of sexual harassment found that factors representing participants' perceptions of victims' credibility and victim negative emotions were higher when the victim cried than when she did not. So the victim is more likely to believe if she appears tearful. Now, that is a research finding. The negative con potential consequence from that is that perhaps victims feel that they should be crying because otherwise they might not be believed. And if they then and that can then potentially lead to um, attempts at making themselves cry and that looks then very ingenuine and dishonest and this is i think it's good to have this knowledge that this is the case but it can then lead down the rabbit hole 
that if we know this is the case and victims know this is the case and victims know how crucial it is that they are believed, do genuine victims perhaps then appear to be more upset than they really are? Are they pressurized into that because of this, some a finding like this or because of a fact like this? And how does that then impact their, the perception of them? So um, it's a little bit complex, but that's, that's what the research is saying. So I hope there was something of use to you in there. If not, remember that you guys have many, many different roles in law enforcement and military and intelligence, whatever your particular role is. I can't always cater to all of them every week, but hopefully if you are able to go through the back library of all these snippets, there'll be something for you. Um, and if not, there might be something next week. Until then, I wish you all the best and bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this content useful. You can get access to each episode's transcript with key learning points, timestamps and references if you get yourself onto my mailing list. Just go to the main website on policesciencedoctor.com and on the bottom of each page you will find a sign-up form for notifications of new content. Just enter your first name, your preferred email address and the type of organization you work for. You will not get any spam. This is just for me to let you know about new content and for you to get access to all the transcripts. Thank you.